Well, let's pray. Uh, a lot to pray about. Pray for me as well to go through this. It's been a difficult week, but I know why. Father, what a privilege to preach your word, to hear your word, a privilege to obey it, a privilege to see you in it. And I pray that we will see you in it, see how gracious you are and how you want us to pray. And you want us to pray in such a way that we please you with our prayers as Moses did. Father, I pray that we'll take the lessons we've learned and apply them quickly. In our Savior's name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 33. We have another long stretch. This is another chapter in my book to come. And uh, we'll read first, then we'll get started. Verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it, and I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hittite, and the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now, now therefore, put off your ornaments far from you, that I may know what I will do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance, remember that, from the camp. And he called it a tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And it came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Then the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend, when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See thou to say, thou to, say to me, Bring up this people. But thou thyself hast not let me know who thou wilt send with me. Moreover, thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, pray thee, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know thy ways that I may know thee, and that I might find favor in thy sight. Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then he said to them, If thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us, so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from the other people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. 
Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord before for you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you should stand there on the rock, and it will come about. My, my, while my glory is passing you by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand till I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you see my back, but my face you shall not be seen. Wow. We have a lot of ground to cover, don't we? Well, I have taught on this probably 40 years ago, and this is the reason why it's coming up in my book. It's in this section. But as a pastor, you do not want to be sitting down with a passage of Scripture. I don't have a title, God. I don't have a beginning and I don't have an ending, and I've worked through the middle two or three times. That's where I was this week. Horrible place to be. And so the only thing you do is go outside and pray. And so I have a place that's sort of quiet, and I sit there and, and I pray. God, i got to have a start. I don't even have a start. And so I raised my eyes and looked up, and God, here is your starting. Notice all these trees, Bill, and the vines growing on the trees. And the vines keep growing higher and higher on the trees, sucking their nourishment, taking away their sunlight, destroying the trees. On our ranch in Texas, we had some beautiful trees, pecan trees and so forth. And we would have wild grapevines get in our trees. And if you didn't take the grapevines down, they choked the trees out, and they were only good for fire. And that's what sin does. It robs us of the resources God wants us to have, the sun we need. It destroys us. And that's what we saw in Exodus 32. God told them they were involved in idolatry. And God said, I will not go with you, up with you. He told them that, lest I destroy you. Sin is serious business. And we today sort of sugarcoat it. And so what we see here is the presence of God withdrawn. Now, the presence of God is frequently withdrawn today. Sin is the biggest problem. When God's presence is withdrawn, it can be withdrawn from a church. It can be withdrawn from an individual life. But it can also be withdrawn, Job and um, I think I referenced Oh, Job 23 and Isaiah 50 talk about two other times it's withdrawn. Isaiah 50, it's withdrawn when we try to light our own fire. We try to do it 
our way. God hates that. And He withdraws. And Job 23 gets into the same thing. So believers experience it, not just because of sin, but we light our own fire, are, as Job 23 refers to, we are trusting so much in the feelings of his presence. God removes it because he wants us to walk by faith. Not my feeling. Tough lesson to learn. And I've experienced it. And some of, if you read some of the old saints, you'll see things in their books. Even Billy Graham wrote about it. You see things in the books. God, God doesn't seem to be here. I, I'm not. He's not hearing me. There's such a nothing. Everything's all my requests are bouncing off the heavens and bouncing back. That happens. And God is deliberately allowing that. But in this case, that's not the situation. The situation was because of the sin of the adultery. And so see what the Lord says here to Moses. Depart, go up from here, you and the people. You have brought up from the land. Notice who he goes back to say. Moses, you brought him up. He keeps digging Moses with that. Moses doesn't forget. He comes back at it. Into the land I promised to give you. So he puts the onus on Moses, but Moses is going to put it back on him in his prayer. And God says, I will not go up with you in your midst because you're stiff-knit people, lest I destroy you. That's what idolatry does. Idols destroy churches, companies. We live in a world that's filled with them. And the response of people was, these were distressing words to hear, and they mourned. That's a good response. That's a good step in the right direction. They put off all their ornaments, any ornaments they had, and God said, Notice now what he says at the end of verse 5. That I may know what I will do with you. God always throws in a glimmer of hope. And that's that glimmer. God is, when I read through the Old Testament, I see grace everywhere. Everybody who reads it never sees it. It's there. We could put neon signs. You could probably go through. I got a new Bible. I'm trying to trying to switch over, and I can't switch over all my markings. Fifty years of markings are hard to switch, but I'm going to do it one chapter, one book at a time, eventually. But we could go through our Bible and mark all the instances of grace that are there, and this is one of them that I might know what I will do. So we need to remember, idolatry chokes out the presence of God in any believer in any church. And Jeremiah 2, 28 says this, Where are your gods which you have made for yourself? 
Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Think about that. Think about the number of towns and cities in the United States or even Tennessee. How many the gods are. It's still true. Technology is a god. I hate to tell you that. When I go to Texas, I go down there a lot of times. No phones, no people, me and the Lord, and the cows. We've got to cultivate space that's free from technology. We've got to. It's an idol that sucks us up. But there are a lot of things that suck us up. A lot of people want their 15 seconds of fame. That'll suck you up. Our idols of fame, sports. Oh, I'm guilty on sports, but God's pruning that. My team's losing a little bit, so that brings you back to reality. Sports, education. People think the more degrees I have, the better I'll know God. They worship education. I've been there. That doesn't accomplish anything. Worship money, job, home, authors, who you know. All. There's, the list is long. But I want you to turn in your own Bibles to 2 Kings. This came up this week in my own quiet time. The Lord always provides the right thing at the right time, but I wish you'd come a little earlier. 2 Kings 18. Verse 4. Let's talk about Hezekiah. Uh, who was a good king, <coughs> who removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars <coughs> and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it. That's recorded in Numbers 21. Remember how the people had sinned and, the, and Moses was commanded by the Lord to set up a bronze serpent on a, on a flagpole and if everybody, anybody who looked at it would be delivered from the bites? They had been worshiping that for hundreds of years. Something that saved them, they thought that was what they had to worship. No, you worship the God behind the person, the God behind the issue. That's who we worship. Not things, not people. <coughs> wow. I could do a sermon just on that one verse. But let's go on. The prayer tent. The scriptures tell us Moses went outside the camp and pitched a temporary tent. It was a prayer tent. It was not in the middle. Their sin had made God so angry he was not going to be in their midst. He couldn't be in the midst when they had prayer. He had to be outside.
It stays that way until the tabernacle is finished, which is the eight to nine months later. And notice what the scripture says, verse 7. He used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. Well, I did a little statistical analysis, and I like doing statistical analysis because that brings clarity of the scriptures. And I, didn't, I can't go through the simulations I did on it. But the smallest area this two million people could have been in was five square miles. That's the smallest area it could have been. Figuring roughly maybe ten people per tent, mother and dad, kids and so forth. Smallest. And the scripture says... A good distance. So let's just say a good distance was a mile. And let's suppose Moses was in the middle of the camp, <coughs> was in the middle of the camp, <coughs> for some reason, Lord, protect me from the demon. He was in the middle of the camp. He had to walk three miles plus. Figuring 12 to 15 minutes for that walk. Out and back. Wow. God didn't want to make it easy for them because they had offended him so much with their idolatry. Now for me, I would think that would be glorious because I love to walk and pray. I love that. But it's probably as he was walking through, hi Sam, hello Joe, hi Hezekiah, I don't know. But they may have just left him alone. Because the tent, the scriptures tell us that people, when he went out there and got there, the cloud came there, they worshiped at their tent. See, that's what men of prayer should do. They should induce worship and prayer in others. And that's what Moses did. And the scriptures tell us that the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And the other place recorded in Genesis is when God talks about Abraham as his friend. And Jesus talks about us as his friends. Very important conversation. But it was a dialogue. It was a conversation like no other. And Joseph, uh, not Joseph, the scripture says Joshua went out with Moses, but he stayed when Moses left. Now, one commentator said Moses stayed, uh, Joshua stayed as a guard, and that's possible because he couldn't go into the tent, wouldn't qualify. Only Moses would have been. Oops. So what is interesting, this tent is God's second best solution 
We can pray anywhere. I pray in my car coming. I pray when I walk my dog. I pray when I go to the store. I pray that I have eyes to see needs. I see a guy begging on a corner. I pray. I am constantly in a dialogue. And that's what I want to emphasize. It is a dialogue with God. There are two sides of it. Listening and speaking and praying. We got to have that. That's the only way we can respond to the world around us. That's the only way the fragrance of Christ will appear. Well, the third point, big point, is prayer for God's favor. God said, bring up this people. But God had not said who. God has not has said, I have known you by your name, and you have favor in my before me. Moses repeated God's words back to him. He repeated them. He remembered them and he repeated them. He didn't say verse and chapter. But he repeats him. See, that's what prayer has to be. That's how come I like to have my time in the Lord early in the morning so that when I pray a little later, I have all that to chew on and to pray about. It energizes my prayer and my interfacing with God. And I can hear him as I pray about something, and I'll stop for a minute and listen, and he'll whisper, I'll pray about it some more. It's a dialogue. It is a great dialogue. And so we need to develop that habit. Request number one for Moses. Verse 13. Let me know thy ways that I may know thee and find favor in your sight. The secret of that knowing is submission to his ways and words. There is no other other way. It's submission. And we need to be willingly submitting. Because we don't willingly submit, God's going to make it so we do. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, says it very well, and it's marked there in your notes. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Teach me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all day. All day should be a time of waiting. Waiting to hear, waiting to respond. There's no secrets to it. It's just doing it and coming to a point where you can do that. We had my grandson this week, and he was sick, of course. And if you've been around sick kids, they're not very obedient. And finally, the last day, I had to swat him on the rear. And 
to get his attention. My wife said, golly, his behavior's changed. What's the deal? He's finally hearing me speak. We need that too sometimes. And many might say, say it this way, teach, teach me your ways that are going my way. Or teach me your ways that are in agreement with my will. Teach me your, your ways that are without suffering and pain. Teach me your ways that don't affect my life, my job, or my thought patterns. Teach me your ways that don't change my commitment very much. And we handle a little, not very much. Teach me your ways that don't change my future, my priorities, that don't threaten my ministry. See, we say it with conditions. Moses said, teach me your ways that I might know you and find favor in your sight. There were no conditions. That's what God likes about prayer. No conditions. And that found favor with him. So like Paul in Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 11, I count all things lost for gaining Christ. There are no conditions. I can give it up all. And then he reminds him, he reminds the Lord, verse 13, the last part of it, Consider, too, that this people is thy people. See, earlier he said, Moses, this is your people you're to lead. <laughs> and now, Moses, remember what you said? I didn't forget it. He brings it back. Had God forgotten? No. Guess what God was doing? He was testing Abraham in his prayer life. And we get tested all the time. Psalm 73 has this to say, verse 25, 26, and 28. I think it's marked in your notes. But I want to read it. It's, uh, it's another verse of mine that I like. It says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is my strength of my heart and my position forever. The nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. Or request number two. There are three requests here. So there's a dialogue going here. That's what I want you to see. There's a dialogue between God and Moses. Quest two. 
How can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people, if it's not by thy going with us, so that we, I and thy people, notice how he keeps saying, thy people, thy people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of this earth. We are supposed to be different. We're not to be like the world. Moses has pulled together God's own words as the foundation of his request. This is what we must do when we pray today. God's response was to do what Moses asked. God's people need the nearness of God in their congregation and in individual saints. Then the world will see the difference. And so God gave Moses the statement, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. This is what I call one of my core value verses. I have about four or five of them, probably more than that. But this is a biggie. And you may have your own. Request three. Show me thy glory. Notice what's happening. As he goes along this dialogue with the Lord, he gets bolder. Show me thy glory. The answers to prayer that he had received gave him boldness, and he was privileged. God protected him, but he was privileged to see the back of God. What a passage. I mean, we could spend a lot of time just on that one part of the passage, but not time to go there. So let's look at some of the applications, and there's a lot. I just put in a few. I looked at my little applications, and I looked at what I had got Lord brought up this time, and some different. The loss of God's presence in a church or in one's life is rarely perceived. We don't even know it. It is so slow. It's like the vines growing up the tree. Little bit by little bit, they rob. That's what sin does. That's what idols do. They rob God of his glory. And they rob of all ability to perceive it. At least the sons of Israel laid off their outward ornaments and mourned about their sin and loss. But God offered him a glimmer of hope as he does today. Don't forget that verse. That I might see what you might do. Number two, as we've already said, idolatry chokes out the presence of God and his word even today. We need to realize that we have many idols in our culture, in our lives, and sometimes we even worship something or person that God used to deliver us instead of him alone. The first church I was involved in, we started, 
was in Louisiana. It came out of the college ministry, and um, there was an Air Force pilot who was teaching at the university at the time, pretty strong believer, and there was a crusade, a head of a crusade on that campus, and myself. And we had been praying about it for a while, and I, as I looked at the men, I said, now, they wanted me to do all the preaching. I says, I'm sorry, I won't do that. I do not want the people dependent on me. I want them dependent on God and his word. And so you guys are going to be preaching some. If you need preparation, you need help, I'll help you. I'm not trying to guard the pulpit. That is not my style. I want to equip people to preach if I can. And I had some men in another church that have asked me to help them that as well. I want to do that because the church gains as you equip the saints in it to teach. Number three, prayer is a continuous dialogue with the living God throughout the day. He's living. He's alive. It is rooted in God's word and his love. It's clothed with stillness and meditation in the power of the Holy Spirit, but executed in obedience with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. It should be a joy, not a chore. It's the greatest joy is to have that kind of walk with the Lord, that dialogue all day long. The result is we become a friend of God, and God will share his most intimate thoughts and plans with us, and we'll be concerned with our views. Wow. That's what I want. Number four, can we pray, let me know thy ways, that I may know you and find favor in thy sight. No conditions attached. That's what prayer is. No conditions attached. And people ask me, what do you pray for? Oh, I pray for everything. I sometimes have to, when I go to UT, I have to pray for a parking spot so I can take care of the couple of cats down there. And God takes care of that. He always has a spot for me. It's never the same, but he always has a spot. There's nothing too little and there's nothing too big if he's really our friend. And he is. And the order of the three requests still holds today. Thy ways first, or paths. Thy presence and thy glory. There are many other applications, lingering before the Lord, prayer life, encouraging others to pray, boldness before the throne of grace, tested by God in prayer, prayer for others. Moses knew how to pray. And God answered his prayer. 
And then the tabernacle was in the midst of the people after about nine months. But I want you to know, a year and a half later, the sons of Israel blew it again, and God called them to account. You can't ever rest on laurels. It is a battle every day. And ask yourself, and I didn't write this in, develop and contemplate your core values in Christ. What core value verses do you have? I mean, mine are real simple. This one, Exodus thirty-three, fourteen. My presence with me. Psalm 46, oh, not Psalm, yeah, Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and make disciples, which I've always been about. I have never lost that vision. In Colossians 1, 28, 27 through 29, make them complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. That's my prayer for my kids, and my kids are struggling. Our kids always struggle. And my youngest son, I told him, I said, you know I'm going to die one day. He was down. Don't die real soon, Dad. I'm trying to get you ready, but you're going to have to go with God and God alone. Father, we thank you for your word and the riches of it. Thank you for you putting it together. You've changed it up to the last minute. Give us ears to hear and obey. Teach us thy ways that we might know you and have favor with you. In his name, amen.